is Jeff Radcliffe, and it is Tuesday, September 14th. Good to be here on the first major waiver run of 2021. Uh, Going to get you set up here with waiver wire rankings, along with some players to hold, some players to cut, and a couple defenses to stream here in Week 2 Fantasy Football. Before I dive into all this information, remember, first and foremost, you can get it over at FTNFantasy.com. Use the promo code RATPACK for a discount. And a couple words of wisdom. First and foremost, if you are in a fab league where you're you're doing blind bidding, know your league tendencies. Know if you're in a league where people spend like crazy. Know if you're in a league where people don't spend like crazy and adjust accordingly. And if you're new to the league, I would start to feel it out a little bit. I wouldn't go too crazy on the first waiver run. Feel out what the league is like. Sometimes, hey man, I'm in one league. It's a home league where people don't spend a lot on waivers. So you, well, you can get away with maybe even spending half of what I recommend for some of the the higher end players. Uh, Certainly, you can spend less. So know that. And by the way, don't sort by last week's fantasy scoring. Don't sort by this week's projected points to make your waiver claims. Just like setting a starting lineup, I don't want to use projections for that. I want to use rankings for that. Well, that's why I have waiver wire rankings. So let's dive into the waiver wire rankings for you here. Raheem Mostert is on injured reserve and will be out for, looks like, about eight weeks. So Elijah Mitchell is the top waiver out of the week. You already know that. Everybody has told you as much. But should we go and break the bank on Elijah Mitchell? I don't think we should. Now, I am still spending 35 to 40% on him, which is a lot, but I don't think we should necessarily break the bank. And I'll tell you my precise concern here it's Trey Sermon. You know, at 12 o'clock Eastern on Sunday, people were losing their minds because Trey Sermon was inactive. But now with Mostert sidelined, Sermon's going to have to be active. He's If he's active, he's going to be used. If he's going to be used, there's a chance that Elijah Mitchell isn't the guy. So going out and spending 60%, 70% on him is very risky. I also don't know if I'm running out to get him if I already roster Trey Sermon. I don't know how much I want to double dip there. Now, this could be famous last words. I know. And I'm not saying don't bid on him. I'm just saying don't go overboard on him. I'm going to put price enforcers in in a couple situations where I am going to put in about 35% bid, and that is 35% of your starting budget. So if you have a $100 budget, it is $35. If you have a $200 budget, it is $70, and so on. So it's of the original budget, not of how much you have left. Uh, So Elijah Mitchell, big role, but what are they going to do with Trey Sermon? That's the question. At number two, I have Sterling Shepard. Kenny Galladay got most of our attention, but Shepard led the team in routes run, 42, targets nine, and obviously fantasy scoring with his 113 yards and a score. I still think Kenny Galladay is going to be just fine. I'm not throwing in the towel on him. And actually, I was glad that he was out there, but Shepard should be rostered. A pair of running backs at three and four, Kenny Gainwell and Tony Jones. Gainwell is clearly the number two. Boston Scott didn't even see a carry in week one. So if Miles Sanders went down, Gainwell is the cough. Uh, As for Jones, Jones is clearly behind Alvin Kamara, but he got some work there. And if Kamara went down, boy, oh boy, big time upside for Jones. So I'm saying 10% on each of those guys. Also go 10% on Christian Kirk. My worry with Christian Kirk 
is that Rondell Moore is there, and I'm going to talk about more in a second, but Kirk also was clearly the deep ball target, averaged up the target of 13.2 yards. He may not be a full-time guy, but there's still upside there with Christian Kirk. Tim Patrick coming in at number six, 8% on him with Jerry Judy on the shelf for, I'm expecting four to six weeks because it's a high ankle sprain. Tim Patrick, a big-bodied receiver, and it is clear it's going to be Patrick, Cortland Sutton, and I'll talk about KJ Hamler in a minute. The aforementioned Rondale Moore, 8%. The ball just finds him when he's on the field. Christian Kirk played double the amount of snaps and Moore equaled him in targets. You know, this is, this kid's got upside. And and this is the time of year where I love to churn a bench. And that just simply means trimming the fat. You know, I'll talk about guys who we can drop and then getting high upside guys like Rondale Moore on the bench. We may not be able to use Moore right away with confidence, but I'm putting him on the bench for a reason. Nelson Aguilar at eight uh, in my rankings. I'm going 7% on him. This is an ADOT play. Jacoby Myers averaged up a target 6.4. Nelson Aguilar, 13.2. So while Myers led in targets, Aguilar gets higher value targets further downfield. And that's part of the reason why he did outscore uh, Myers in PPR. Jameis at nine. Now, Jameis only threw for 148 yards, but five passing scores. And I had said this a while ago. Jameis Winston was the start of the entire season. I would say he's a top 15 option. I have more confidence now that he'll be a starter for the entire season. Now, I'm not fully confident, and I would be foolish to be fully confident, but he's a QB2+. plus. Would I drop Ryan Tannehill for him? No, probably not. I'm willing to give Ryan Tannehill the benefit of the doubt. Would I drop Matt Ryan for him? Yes. Would I drop Baker Mayfield for him? Yes. We drafted those guys as safe guys, and we know safe guys aren't going to win us our league. Jameis is an upside guy, and it does look like that upside is going to hit, so pounce if you have the opportunity. Jared Cook at 10. He is my top tight end ad of the week. Outside of the top six or seven at tight end, we are just rolling the dice. And I don't care if you score touchdowns. I mean, that's great, and I want you to. But I care more that you see volume. He had the third most targets at the position tied for in uh, week one with eight. So I'm going after Jared Cook. I might have been a little too low on him, and I'm fine with that, 5%. Jalen Rager, 5%. Javante Smith is the lead target, but Rager is very much in the mix. Six catches on six targets, got in the end zone. And like how he looked here in week one. Larry Roundtree at number 12, 5%. He is the backup. He is ahead of Justin Jackson. And Joshua Kelly did not even touch the ball. So Joshua Kelly, we'll talk about him in a bit. But Larry Roundtree, if you're looking to cuff, uh, he is Austin Eckler's backup right now uh, with the Chargers. So that gets us up through the first dozen in my rankings, but still plenty more to go, including some interesting upside wide receivers. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll dive into more waiver wire rankings for week two. So Timmy Patrick is the guy that I would prefer, but I also do like KJ Hamler. He's at number 13 in my rankings here, 5% with Jerry Judy out. And like I said, I expect at least a month. Hamler is going to have some value as the slot receiver. And one thing you could do is you could put, say, an 8% on on Tim Patrick, you could put a 5% on KJ Hamler while dropping the same exact guy. Like say you wanted to drop, oh, I don't know, Joshua Kelly. <laughs> you could drop the same guy. That way, if you don't get Patrick, if somebody outspends you at Patrick, it could just default then down to Hamler and maybe end up getting him. 
And if you get Patrick, the Hamler just cancels out. That's a strategy I like to use. 4% on Terrace Marshall. He's number 14 in my rankings. He's clearly the number three receiver. He's behind DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson in routes run. 34 for Moore, 33 for Anderson, 24 for Marshall. Marshall did see six targets. The upside's there. I'm not confident in using him just yet, but I want him on benches. Van Jefferson actually ran more routes than Robert Woods, which was surprising. But regardless, I'm not going too high on him. I have the 3%. Uh, recommended fab on Van Jefferson. Hey, he could still be the number three in a very potent offense. Zach Pascal, he is the number two in Indianapolis, 3% on him. I don't want to go too crazy here. Yes, he did score two touchdowns, but he didn't have a heavy volume day. The more important thing is he was out there in two wide sets along with Michael Pittman, not Paris Campbell. Jared Goff at 17 in my rankings, 3%. I'm not going to read too much into last week's numbers. Yes, they were big, but it was also game script favorable. That being said, he should be rostered in all two quarterback and super flex formats. Jamichael Hasty at 18. My hesitancy with Jamichael Hasty and only 3% on him is that he is just a change of pace back, whereas Trey Sermon is not. So he's still going to be the number three in that in that depth chart. But I think I think in deeper leagues, you could do worse. Like, for example, at 19, Mark Ingram. 3%. Yes, he had 26 carries. You know what he averaged per carry? 3.3 yards. Against the Jags. Okay? Against one of the worst run defenses in the league. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could be desperate. Cole Komet at 23% on him. I actually like the six targets he saw. You know, the volume is pointing in the right direction. I actually like him more than Juwan Johnson at 21. Despite Johnson scoring a lot of fantasy points, he only saw three targets. Actually, Adam Troutman out-targeted him 5-3, to three, so only 3% on Juwan Johnson. There's obviously red zone upside, though. A bunch of quarterbacks here, 22, 23, 24, 25. Tua, Ben, Teddy, to Rod Taylor, all of those guys right in this range, 1% to 3% on these guys. All of them should be rostered in your two-quarterback leagues. In your deeper one-quarterback leagues, you may be able to pick pick these guys up for varying reasons. I still believe there's upside with Tua. I thought Ben, I mean, Ben looked rusty, but he still has those receivers at his disposal. Teddy doesn't have much upside, but he has a really impressive set of weapons at his disposal. And to Rod Taylor, man, Dude's just a good football player in general. He's not a prototype quarterback or anything along those lines, but he's a good football player, showed a nice connection with Brandon Cooks, and he can still run. Gerald Everett, 1-3% at 26. He found the end zone, but be careful. Will Disley actually out-targeted him. Mac Jones, who? Mac Jones at 27. I know some of the younger listeners have no idea what that means, and that is funny to me. 1% to 3%, though, solid in the opener. He's not a starter in one-quarterback leagues, but he is an upside guy if your waiver wire is picked over. Sam Darnold, 1%. I don't want him in one-quarterback leagues, but he absolutely should be rostered in two-quarterback and Superflex leagues. Cordero Patterson at 29. I am calling him a running back because why not? 1%. Wayne Gallman still being worked in, so Patterson is the primary backup. 1% on Gabriel Davis. He's number 30 in my rankings. Number four wide receiver there, but man, he still has upside. Caught a touchdown. I still like him. I'd rather have him on my roster than Emmanuel Sanders. Cedric Wilson at 31, 1%. In theory, this opens the door with Michael Gallup out, but I, I expect to see more 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. 
but I still think in deeper leagues, he is worth a flyer. James O'Shaughnessy at 32. He's a one percenter. Only two tight ends had more targets than him last week, TJ Hawkinson and Rob Gronkowski. I just you know can't get too jazzed up over James O'Shaughnessy, but I like the volume. KJ Osborne, 33. He's the slot for Minnesota. Seven targets, seven catches in week one. 1% on him. 1% on Anthony Schwartz. Speed, speed, speed. But the reps will decrease once uh, OBJ, Odell Beckham is back on the field. Dalton Schultz, 1%. I mean, hey, he's the top pass catcher for the Cowboys, but at the same time, he's just a catch-and-fall-down type tight end. Tyler Conklin, 1% with Irv Smith sidelined for the season, and Chris Herndon still getting up to speed. Conklin caught four balls for 41 yards in the opener. David Njoku ranked 37, 1%. Yes, 76 yards on three catches, but they have Austin Hooper. They have Harrison Bryant. They have all these tight ends who they are going to use lots of mouths to feed, so just be careful there. And then finally, Taylor Heineke. Like I'm not adding Taylor Heineke in a one-quarterback league, but two-quarterback superflex. Every starting quarterback has value, so Heineke... I might go 10% on him there if I actually really needed a quarterback. He'll be the starter for the next six to eight weeks as of right now. All right, let's go to the whole list. Guys who I am not dropping. Trey Lance, really? Really? You drafted him knowing he wasn't going to start in week one. He didn't start in week one. Now you want to cut him? (laughs) What the heck? Hang in there. Michael Carter, same thing. We didn't draft him for week one. We're drafting Michael Carter legit for the second half of the season. Patience, young Padawan. Trey Sermon, I already basically told you why, but please don't. Don't cut him. Marquez Callaway, that was a weird game in general where Jameis only attempted 20 passes. Yes, Callaway had only one catch, but you know what? He tied for the position high on the team in targets with two of them. Just give him a little bit of time here. Here are guys who I am cutting, though. Fitzpatrick, I can't hold on to him for two months. Zach Moss, shocked. Not not shocked. Nothing in fantasy football shocks me. But I was really surprised that he was a healthy scratch, and that bodes very poorly for him. So I do think we can cut him loose. Cutting loose Tevin Coleman, lackluster week one. Wouldn't have had him on rosters anyway. Same with Philip Lindsay. But Philip Lindsay's way behind Mark Ingram now. Rashad Penny is hurt again. Fool us twice. Shame on us cutting him loose. Joshua Kelly already told you he's the number four back for the Chargers. Get rid of him. He gone. Giovanni Bernard, I tried to warn everybody before the fact, but old passing down specialists don't have much fantasy value. Uh, Paris Campbell, Zach Pascal's ahead of him, so he gone. Mike Gusecki, Blake Jarwin, Austin Hooper, all these guys at tight end. I mean, we're just throwing darts each week, but a goose egg for Gusecki. Blake Jarwin looks like he's behind Dalton Schultz and Austin Hooper. There are just too many darn mouths to feed there in Cleveland at the position. Here are your streamers for week two fantasy defenses. Speaking of Cleveland, they are on the list for me. They actually looked really good last week in a brutal matchup against Kansas City, and this week they get Houston. Houston may have looked spry last week, but it was against Jacksonville. Much taller task this week for them against Cleveland, so I like the Browns. I thought the Saints defense looked really good against Green Bay. Obviously, they shut Green Bay down. This week, they face Carolina. Now, of course, it is a divisional rival, but sometimes you find these defenses early in the season, and then they end up being breakouts. Maybe it is New Orleans this year. I'm willing to take a shot on it, and they're widely available. And... The G-Men, New York Giants, Thursday Night Football, Taylor Heineke. Give me some of that. (laughs) 
give me some of that right there. That is my recommendations for defenses here in week two. Play the matchups, try and get takeaways. That's what it's all about right there. If you want this entire list for your references, you make your waiver wire picks for this evening. You can get it over at ftnfantasy.com. Use the promo code RATPACK for a discount. And, of course, you can follow along with me at Jeff Ratcliffe on Twitter, at Jeff Ratcliffe on Instagram. All right, tomorrow, rankings. I'll be back week two fantasy football rankings. On the flip side, I'll catch you then. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out.